Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most electrifying must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. Welcome to FFC. I am your host, Damien Ellinghouse, accompanied as always by my good friend, Ryan Doyle. Well, how are you, sir? Well, I'm sitting here. It's uh, 6-11. The window's closed. So no car is bothering us today. No festive sounds of Astoria for us today? No, sir. We're, we're giving the people what they want and what they need, which is silence and weird room noises. So we have a big, big episode today. We're going to be delving into New Japan Pro Wrestling. More specifically, we're going to be talking about Wrestle Kingdom 14, um, which is their Super Bowl of Wrestling. It's the biggest wrestling event outside of WrestleMania, outside of North America. We're going to go... Super Bowl Japan! Super Bowl Japan. We're going to get real in-depth with this. Uh, It's going to be a little dense, so we're going to start it off with what we're drinking today. So, Ryan, tell us what you bought for us today. Well, I got a nice little uh, barrier collaboration going on with Magnify Brewing Company. I'm not familiar with them necessarily, but I am familiar with our good friends at Barrier Brewing. Uh, right here, we have a two-time dry hopped with Citra, Simcoe, Calypso, and... Citra Lupulin Powder. Citra Lupulin Powder. This bad boy's coming in at 7.4 ABV, and that's Barrier in Oceanside, New York. And you brought along here another beer, because, you know, if we're going to do a big-ass podcast, we got to have... A tall drink order. What we got here, Damien? So we have here Pick Me Blueberry Lager. Now, this is not New York, all right? So it's a little bit of cheating. Not New York. Not New York. Uh, me and my fiance took a trip to lovely Portland, Maine. Very um, nice. It's one of the beer meccas of New England. Now, this beer is made by a brewery called Geary. Geary. Geary is New England's first craft beer brewery. Ah. Uh Modern convention would have you think maybe it was Sam Adams. Sam Adams did not actually start brewing in New England. They started in Ohio. What? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming the... What a charlatan. What a charlatan. I'm, I'm assuming the guy's from Boston, but um, according to the very nice bearded man at Geary, if you're listening to this somehow, some way, thank you for a lovely time. Um, yeah, apparently they didn't, they didn't start in New England. So this is nice and simple, 4.8%. Uh, Maine is the main exporter of the country's blueberries. It's some huge number, 95%, 99%. So if you've had a blueberry, it came from Maine, and we will be drinking it today. Look at that. Well, to salute our friends in Maine, let's start off with the Pick Me Blueberry Lager. Ooh, a little sound effect for you. Mm. Okay. So before we get into uh, New Japan... Um, there were a couple of things that happened over the last couple of weeks. And first off, we'd like to apologize for not being here at our regularly scheduled Wednesday. You know, between the holidays and just how big this episode was, we wanted to make sure that we really got it right. We had food to eat, all right? We had food to eat, we had beer to drink, and we had uh, not this to do. So here we are. So real, real, real quick, we will talk about uh, AEW, what's been going on the last couple of weeks. Um, so... The biggest thing that I want to talk about with AEW um, is something that me and Ryan have been talking about for a little bit now. 
um, and is something that I see reflected on a lot of the forums um, specifically. And in fact, this is an opinion that was even echoed by Dave Meltzer, depending on how you feel about him, that might have weight to you, that might not have weight to you, um, is their presentation in their characters and their wrestlers and how much they expect you to know outside of the show. Now, we've spoken about this a little bit um, the last two episodes, that they expect a lot out of you. And I suppose it's not... It's a little weird to say a lot considering how much uh, content the WWE has between Raw and SmackDown, NXT and 205 Live and, you know, all of the... Now we have WWE backstage and we have all these other social media things happening. You have ride-alongs. But the biggest problem that I'm continuing to have is that last week... uh, I'm sorry, not last week, two weeks ago, Cody comes out to talk about what happened and, you know, he, he... wants to talk about MJF betraying him and these guys come up from the ring because we're all doing that these days again and uh Excalibur gets really excited on commentary and he starts it's the blade and the butcher and uh you know JR and apparently JR got a lot of flack for not knowing who they were but it seems kind of clear to me that he wasn't meant to know which is something that he said as well he's he's going well who just who are these guys who the hell are these guys and Excalibur goes it's the blade and the butcher, and that's it. And 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 that's all we're getting. And they and the crowd, just like what happened with Dark Order when they debuted, they start getting a "Who are you?" chance. Yeah, it's not a good look, you know. And you know, people want to shit on Jr. for not knowing, but he's he's just playing the role of the maybe the fan his age watching at home, maybe the non, uh, you know. The out of the loop uh, wrestling fan that really wants to get into AEW, the new product, and that's all. He's just looking for some nuance in his commentary, and he just wants Something. a little bit of a fucking explanation from Excalibur, which you know Excalibur knows every move in the book. I'm not going to take that away from him, but when it comes to character presentation, it's just it's not good. He did the same thing with Orange Cassidy, and I he actually did the same thing with Dark Order too. Now that I'm thinking about it, where he was like, "It's the Dark Order." And, and again, JR was like, well, who are they? And he just kind of said they're the Dark Order and they're like a well-known tag team, right? Now, here's the thing about Blade and the Butcher, right? Just to put it in perspective why I think this is so ridiculous. I don't know which one is which. Is Andy Williams Butcher? Have they decided which one is which yet? Do we know? Yes, I believe he's the Butcher. Okay, so maybe we're wrong on that, but we're going to go with Andy Williams is the Butcher. now. You're Every thinking. time I die. He's the guitar player from Every Time I Die. Now, it's okay, right? They're on TNT. Maybe not everyone's going to know who Every Time I Die is. That's fine. But Every Time I Die is a very, very popular band, and I don't see... And aside from that, right, to tie it into you know some of the more hardcore wrestling guys out there, uh, Blade, his name is Pepper Parks, right? He used to team up with Moxley back when Moxley was in CZW. He's like a hardcore guy. He's been around for a while. And I just feel like it wouldn't have been that hard for Excalibur to just go, well, you know, Butcher. Butcher comes from a different world. Uh, he comes from a different world. And, and uh, you know, some people know him for his prowess with a six string, but he's here to prove whatever, whatever you want to say in commentary. And for, for Blade especially, I mean, he teamed with John Moxley. Even if we're not giving any credence to other promotions which it doesn't seem like AEW has minded doing all that much even if you're not going to say you know a little better than me have they been referencing other promotions I mean you know they mentioned AAA which obviously I mean 
they have a they have like a partnership so i guess that makes sense but i seem to remember somebody saying something i mean they they referenced adam cole you know and if we're going under the assumption that they're like only shadow referencing wwe to straight up say the name of the nxt champion makes me think that you know he wasn't pwg and he was teaming up with the young bucks when they were in ring of honor um when kenny omega was leading bullet club so clearly they don't have a problem referencing that people have passed hell even wwe does that wwe did that with Sami Zayn and kevin owens you know they it's you don't have to say the promotion but just being like oh he has a history with john moxley and he's a hardcore guy i mean that's what you did with jimmy havoc yeah i mean the other side of the coin is michael cole Screaming, it's a big dog, or it's boss time. You know, every time <laughs> but a wrestler know, comes out, and you may find that a little ridiculous, but, you know, WWE does pride itself on, you know, making sure you know who's who, even if you have to hear the story over and over again. Because in this modern day of wrestling, you know, you may get new fans every week, that you know, and you can lose them just like that. So you want to keep them engaged. And a very important especially for new promotion like AEW, if they really want to build up their ranks, is to get these stories over, get these characters over, especially the ones outside of All Elite. Now, it's one thing to say that, you know, I don't. I like being the Elite. I've always, I've always have. Um, I don't like the fact that you have to go watch it on YouTube. If I'm just a 40-year-old fan, I'm not going to do that. Um, it would be cool if AEW could get being the elite as like a 15 minute series on adult swim a turner affiliate network you know i think that's some good synergy right there however uh for the characters like orange cassidy jimmy havoc dark order you know their look is a little ridiculous enough so you have to give them a story you can't just say it's so and so yeah you know it's a little nitpicky but if dave melter is saying it then it's not just us. Yeah, and, and I think the biggest thing about it, you know, to not go on a huge rant, because it's not like I think it's the end of the world, but the promotion has been around now for how long? They started in October, right? So it's been Yeah, about, just about. So it's, okay, so it's been about, you know, two months, give or take. I think that, yes, we're going to let storylines develop, and it's not that they're bringing in new characters. Of course I want new characters that I'm not going to know from WWE or, you know, that's that's fine, and it's okay to have a slow build. That's why I, I I understand Excalibur not being like, well, this is Pepper Parks and this is Andy Williams. Like, that's fine for me. And I'm fine with them not giving me, well, why are they attacking Cody? But just giving an explanation of where did they come from? Like, why do, why should I care about this person? Why should I be interested in them? Simply mentioning that Pepper Parks has a relationship with John Moxley and they haven't seen each other in a while, so we don't know how it's going to go. And Andy Williams being a newcomer f- up from a band, it at least gives you a reason to Google them and maybe go check them out or be more invested in the social media. And just as a whole, there is a lot of content for AEW as a new promotion to do AEW Dynamite and AEW Dark and being the elite. And they had and they had MJF explain why blade and the butcher attacked cody and they had it on twitter and yes i'm sure it'll show up on dynamite but why couldn't that have happened yeah and on if, dynamite? if they could take the 15 minutes to post it on twitter then just put it in the show i mean and to go so to go away for, it's not the biggest deal in the world i'm obviously still enjoying the show um and i mean i enjoyed last week's show a lot more than i did the week before the week before was probably the weakest show they had even with a pretty good match by kenny omega and Pac. yeah and we were getting a little worried there just because i hate to i don't like 
being a rating snob, but if it is going down every week, and it was the night before Thanksgiving, so their core audience is going out and getting hammered like I was. But they had a nice rebound this week, and it was a nice presentation. I don't need... So I wanted to just ask this real quick. Brandy is a heel and Cody is a face? Or is Cody yes. just like a tweener? I wouldn't really call Cody a tweener. He does some heelish stuff. Like his match with um, Darby Allen, he was healing it up a little bit on that first or second episode of Dynamite. So it's he's not a full-on face, but he's cutting baby face promos. He's, yeah. he's being the underdog. So he's definitely, that's the role he's playing. And yeah, Brandy is a heel. And that's kind of been the dynamic since AEW started cuz Cody well they're kind of like their own thing, right? They're not going to cross paths or anything like that. Cody and Brandy? Yeah. Um I mean Cody referenced Brandy doing weird things and cutting off people's hairs. We don't know if So like clearly they're aware yeah. of what each other are doing. Yeah. I mean anyway, my point was is that uh you know, I don't need three explanation promos in a show, but it was a nice change of pace. They had a couple great matches. Uh one of them being Penta versus Christopher Daniels, which is certainly not the last time we're going to see that. And I hope not. Um, I also thought that the Ray Phoenix-Trent match was very, very good. So, you know, it's not like this is some something that's going to really be a killer. But for me, honestly, that's even less of a problem because I'm a, I'm a 26-year-old going on 27. I'll go watch this stuff on YouTube. I care about the promotion. And Cody said in interviews that they're looking to get the hardcores more than they are the casuals anyway. So it's not for... It's not for everybody, but my bigger issue, and this is the last thing that we'll talk about before we move on, is um, the way that they're treating the women. And I, I just personally think it's a little inexcusable to not give these women some more promo time, to not give them little vignettes, right? Even what they did with Chris Statlander, where they just showed, oh, she teamed up with, um, who was it that she faced? I, I I missed that match. I saw a little bit of it, but I didn't, I didn't see who was in the match itself. She was a a, a women's wrestler from Japan. I yeah, believe. her name escapes me right now, so that's a little unprofessional. But Sorry about that, at least it's <laughs> at least they said well, she's an alien. They said she's an alien, and they said she teamed up with this person, and they this is what they're gonna do. So at least there was something. But again, the title looks like a toy, and the stuff with Brandy and Awesome. Kong is the only thing that's really happening in terms of character development right now. Yeah, and I mean, Awesome Kong does not need a manager and Brandy, at least I don't think. I mean, she's probably the most recognizable women's wrestler on that roster right now. I would have to think so, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I just... Uh, Hikiru Shida, that's who okay. it was that she faced. Okay. Hikiru Shida. So, uh, but I mean, it's fine, right? Because I'm into weird stuff happening like I, I like what they've been doing with the dark order vignettes right give me a reason to care about them i can get over the fact that their entrance was whatever right give them some time so i'm hoping they'll do the same with blade and butcher but the women's division you know cody's going on twitter talking about well well this one's in the top five what do you mean yeah been... i don't need the, the the white knighting for all not even the women's division but like every time like something doesn't go over i noticed jericho is doing it it was like i see fans every week like you know Asking who's this, so he's like, "Well, you have to tune in to watch." And it's like, well, "Okay, I'm gonna tune in to watch." And you're not telling. Yeah, you don't so. explain anything. You don't say anything. They have wrestling matches, and that's what they do. And then they go yeah. away. And Excalibur is not providing enough on commentary, and it's not Jr. or Tony's job to be that. That is not their role in this company. If you want Jr. to talk about the Rhodes brothers, obviously fine. You want him to talk about John Moxley, fine. Even Kenny Omega, fine. Same thing with Tony. 
that's Excalibur's job. Yeah. And I, I think Excalibur is a good commentator. And I don't think it's all him. I'm, I'm sure that they're not really harping on it that much. But we need to do a better job with character development. They need to do a better job with the women because, quite frankly, they're not giving people a lot of reason to care about the women, even though they're showing one match a night on Dynamite and one on Dark. And the fact that the title is that tiny, I really, they feel like an afterthought. And there's a lot of talent on that roster. And outside of like Riho being Emi Sakura's student I, and like being friends with Kenny Omega, I know nothing about her. I know she's been wrestling since she's nine. So I don't know. You can't just have a bunch of characters that are like, we're good at wrestling and we like wrestling. And that's it. That's all the character yeah. development and you I, do. I don't want to be like a sour boy here, but you know, it's just. It's a little obnoxious and I hope that it continues right. to get worked out. Them, yeah. We want them to have a, a good formula. And if it's just a little thing here and there that they can tweak, then, you know, rather than, I'd rather point that out than just stuff that just is not going to get changed because I'm just a hater. Yeah. I'm just I mean? not. So. So that's what's up with AEW right now. So we're, real quick, we'll move on to uh, TakeOver and Survivor Series. We're not going to do a match-by-match recap, um, especially Survivor Series had just too many matches. But for me, the highlight of TakeOver, and TakeOver, as always, continues to be, in my opinion, the best big card event in wrestling. I don't think Hands anyone down. does it better than Hands NXT. Um, the women's match, the women's war game match to open up TakeOver was incredible. It was match of the night for me. Honestly, I may seem a little ridiculous saying this, but probably one of the top three women's matches of the decade, if you want to count it. Honestly, I'd, I yeah. I mean, every single person in that ring was incredible. And everyone presented something different. Everyone's characters Absolutely. came across. I mean... I'm a huge Bianca Belair supporter. Yeah. I, I'm pretty vocal and about no Terry that. Press, baby. I love it. I, I can't wait. You know, I don't know if they're going to keep her on NXT now because now they kind of just like set the rosters in place because they're trying to build up the brand now. Mm-hmm. But I hope that we see her in the big time soon. Honestly, I'd rather see her with a nice title reign. The problem is like you've gotten back to back. No disrespect to Ember Moon. But in the context of Asuka's reign and Shayna's reign, Ember was kind of a little bit of a footnote. So you've had such big reigns that I don't know if you really want another lengthy title reign by Rhea Ripley, who is probably who it's going to be. Which is fine, honestly. Rhea is a badass. And she's got a great look. Oh, yeah. But I love Bianca Belair. I think pound for pound, she's one of the most talented athletes on the entire WWE roster. And then Dakota Kai, totally. What a fucking heel turn, man. Took, and and it, I thought it was well done. You know, they, they, they didn't really... They set it up well... They didn't play to it too much on NXT. She was just like, "Oh well, yeah, we're friends." Okay, you know? yeah, well, I'm then... gonna I'm gonna stick by you and brand. <laughs> you know, we're gonna be friends. And then she just rips Tegan Knox a new one. Just, just... that was no bullshit too. She slammed that door in her head, and her eyes rolled back. <laughs> the same thing with her leg. She must have slammed the door, yeah. the cage door, on her ten times. And Shayna just being yeah. You know what, Shayna? Great. Uh, Shayna on. Yeah, she she really <laughs> no looked great. And she's just clapping and smiling yeah, the whole time. That was really good. Uh, Io Shirai, obviously, oh my God. incredible that spot. Uh, Candice, yeah, she did a she did a moonsault off the top of the cage, which I thought wasn't going to be topped until it was. Um, you know, Candice LeRae didn't do it for me at first, but she's won me over. You know, she's definitely talented. Um, Candice LeRae, as we may have mentioned before, um, she is Johnny Gargano's wife. Uh, she also was tag partner. I think it was called the best tag team in the world with Joey Ryan over on Impact, Mr. Dick Flip. Um, but everyone in that match, uh, top to bottom, did an incredible job. Um, Rhea ended it putting Shayna through tables. 
Um, it was just a great match. It was incredible. I really highly recommend it. Um, the triple threat between Pete Dunne, uh, Killian Dane, and Damian Priest, for me personally, was whatever. I, My fingies! I don't I don't really care about Damian Priest that much. And I don't think that's his fault, and I don't think that's NXT's fault. Yeah, I mean, he's just a... He's just a guy that does a He's just a, a thing. generic big man. I think that, uh, you know, if they give him some time... He can work it out. Yeah, I have no reason to suspect he'll be bad, and like he's good in the but ring. But he's just like your classic, like WWE, like yeah, outlaw character. He's a little spooky. He's a little got some Alistair. I think Black he's cool. I liked his work as Punishment Martinez and Ring of Honor. That's so. right. I forgot he was Punishment Martinez. But yeah, no, he's not the one I necessarily want going over. But I think it was a nice palate cleanser. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean it's not like I was offended at any point. I love Pete Dunne. Um, I really liked Killian Dane. I liked him more in Sanity. Than I did, than I do currently with him, just as the now he's like a he's a biker from Belfast. This is his thing. He remembers the troubles, uh, but it was it was a fine <laughs> palate cleanser. It's a good way to put it. Vince and his Irish story. Yeah, you know what are you gonna do? Um, the Matt Riddle Finn Balor match I thought was really good. I think Finn showed a really good. You know, he was wrestling like himself, but just enough heelish tactics to make you aware that there's a character change. Matt Riddle is one of the most talented people. You think we're gonna get? Uh... Riddle versus Goldberg. I think it's being teased way too much. I don't know. I feel like Goldberg really does want to hurt him. <laughs> I mean, I could be getting worked, but yeah. uh, I th- they've been going at each other a lot on Twitter. Uh, for those that don't follow, well, how did how did it start? Um, it started a while. I remember Matt Riddle just being like Goldberg's shit and can't wrestle. Did it start with Brock? Was that? It started in WrestleMania last year, I believe, uh-huh. and uh, and I don't know if this is set up this way, but. Goldberg was walking through the hall. He was filming a documentary. Oh, that's WWE right. 24-7. And Riddle walks by him. He's like, what's up, bro? And then Goldberg kind of looks up. He's like, I'm not your bro. I'm not your bro. Like, I, th- you know, I think. And I, I, you know, there's a whole shtick with, you know, I got to give respect mm-hmm. to the vets. And then Riddle was just like, nah. He wasn't like, nah. He just like, it, it, the bro is like so much of his yeah, persona just, and vernacular is. that, you know, it's like a nervous tick for him. I was like, okay, bro. Okay, bro. And Goldberg just kept getting more and more pissed off. Yeah. And then eventually Riddle was just like, you know, bro, fuck you. <laughs> I don't even know if that's what started because I kind of thought that Goldberg mentioned that Riddle had been talking shit because Riddle's kind of been saying for a while that Goldberg just can't wrestle and that he's shit and makes yeah. wrestlers look bad. Greenberg. <laughs> um, and now Riddle does the jackhammer and they, uh, they chant Riddle. Adam, yeah, so. I mean it's being teased way too much, but we'll see. Well, that's prob- a little bit down the road. They probably will. It was a good match. Um, I'm excited to see the return of the prince. And the men's war game match was. You know, every war game match has been spectacular. Uh, the big highlight, obviously, is Champa. Goddamn. Champa picking up Cole, putting him. At, what, I don't. It's like similar to the move that Okada does, but I don't really remember. I don't know what it's called. This is a moment where I need Excalibur. It's kind of like just a. Um... A little bit of like a sidewalk slam. It's almost, he's like yeah, it's a, it's a sidewalk slam drop. Yeah, much from the just top of the fucking cage on his neck onto tables. And you know, with every takeover that has been happening, it's death taxes. Adam Cole getting yeah murdered. murdered. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Keith Lee, Dominic Dajakovic, both incredible. Keith Lee just is an absolute monster. Undisputed Era, whoop, whoop. one of the best factions in wrestling. I'm not sick of them yet. Um, I hope they don't go away anytime soon. Uh, overall takeover was really really solid and. Honestly, I'm, I I don't really feel like I need to spend that much time on Survivor Series. I kind it isn't, you know. I mean, the the more important thing about Survivor Series is that it's good to treat it as like a pro sports league all star game. 
Yeah, and and you get some great matches out it's of it. Fun, you know. It doesn't have to be that serious. Yeah. As a little pissed with Walter being eliminated first, I was told by friends to not worry about it. Now, it is true that Walter initially wanted to stay over in Europe. It took some convincing from Triple H to get him over. NXT UK was created as an outlet for him to stay over in Europe because he's very big on training uh, and being a teacher over there. Mm-hmm. But as time went on, he got over in NXT UK just like that. And he started coming over to the NXT product. Now, I don't know if he still intends on staying over in Europe. So they didn't want to get him too over in the match. But, I mean, like, goddamn, He was the hottest. He got the hottest pop out of all those guys, yeah. I felt. And they just let him go. But, you know, I think it's just me being a Walter Mark. And in fairness, I mean, the Claymore is a very protected move. Right. Drew McIntyre is clearly built to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, like, taken a little more seriously than someone like Braun Strowman. Like, I do think... I'd hope so, man, because the guy has everything, in my opinion. And he's got everything he's he just kind of, like, yeah. coasting. I know he's about to go into a program with Brandon Orton, which is going to be cool. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I thought he would have gotten a lot more at this point. Yeah, and I, I think people thought that about Braun, too. But I think that... That's true, yeah. I think that they are... He will get, I think, a belt at some point. You know, he's a former NXT champion. He is being treated seriously enough. Uh, I didn't love a lot of his stuff with Roman or Seth. Some of it was good. Some of it wasn't, um, you know, him being the one to put away Ambrose. Uh, but, I, you know, so, like, the Claymore is a protected move. I didn't love it either. The The big tag matches were fun for some yeah. points and... You know, but the the true star of the match is Keith Lee. I yeah, think. Keith Lee was incredible, and he puts away Seth Rollins with a spirit bomb, which is a huge deal. Yeah. Put up a good fight I against love how Roman. They call it the spirit bomb, by the way. Yeah, I also like that riddle. <laughs> I don't know if it's going fight. over everybody's head. I I don't think they're gonna like be like that's a Dragon Ball Z move, you know? Because like <laughs> Michael Cole, could you imagine Michael Cole trying to explain like why he calls it the spirit bomb? No, well, he calls it that after his his ape friend who puts his hands up and gets energy. Well, there's one man to explain anime. It's Dio. Yeah, Dio. Dio <laughs> Who's Dio. going back to NXT? By the way, yes, he is. He's gonna be the man to put down Brock once and for all. Um, speaking of Brock, uh, his match with Ray. You know, we all knew Ray was going to lose, but I won't act like I did not pop hard hey, listen, at Dominic and him right. hitting 619s right. and frog splashes. I got worked. I really did. I thought, shit, maybe they really will make him win there. They'll the one thing more. we said in our preview show is that just give it more than three minutes and it made it believable. And, you know, it set up Ray for a nice victory the next night with the U.S. title. I yeah. Thought that was a very good episode of Raw. I hope Raw is starting to come into Paul Heyman's image. Hence all the cucking storylines. Hence all the cucking storylines. Now, hey, I gotta say, like, stop having these guys fucking lose. You know, like, Humberto apparently lost his push, but he's not getting over the crowd, but he's not fucking winning. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. That's that's for another time. I can spend 15 minutes on it. But, however, uh, just circling back to the Survivor Series match real quick. Uh, Keith Lee versus Roman was awesome. That That's what pretty much ended everything yeah uh, uh, well keith lee putting away seth and then roman taking it took i think more than one superman punch and a spear to put Mm -hmm. keith lee down for good yeah um yeah it was it was which is fine but like i said i think the the match was to showcase keith lee and keith lee has a very good future ahead of him i think so as well and you know the ray brock match was was fun brock always works well with the smaller guys and uh the Daniel Bryan fiend match was again. It was fine. It, I liked it better 
than the Fiend's matches with Seth. Agreed. Um, he was selling a little bit for Daniel, right? And the Yes Movement came back. So you get a feel-good moment, and then you don't. And the program's continuing. The match was good enough that I'm interested to see more of it for a little bit. And uh, also, at a TLC coming up, uh, they're going to have The Miz take on Bray as Bray. It's going to be the first time he wrestles as Bray. He he uh, lured Miz into a room and then hit a sister Abigail as himself. So I'm interested to see where that, that goes. That would be a cool dynamic. I wonder where they go with that. Now, is he going to... I wonder if when he comes out, if he's going to use the old title. The old... Like his old... Well, they had the, had the now custom Fiend belt. Oh, oh, if he's going to come out with the... Yeah, I mean, they showed you know him with I mean? the blue belt, so I think they probably will. Okay. Um, That's so, cool. I like that. Yeah, it'll be cool. TLC is... Is it next week? Or is it in two weeks? Is it next week? I think it's next week already, yeah, because in two weeks it's going to be like... Right before Christmas? Let's look this up. Um, TLC will be airing on December 16th, two days before my birthday. Look at that. So, uh... We don't know the matches, so we don't have a review show for you. Sorry. <laughs> they didn't announce shit yet. Um, I, and honest, <laughs> Outside of, like, three matches. And honestly, we've spent enough time on uh, WWE the Yeah, last that's fine. Weeks. But let's, uh... So let's get into... Let's go across the Pacific, my friend. Let's go across the Pacific. Ryan, as always, has an episode of Legend Killer for us. So, Ryan... What terrible gimmick do you have for me today? I got two for you, my friend. Oh, two! Two. I'm a lucky boy. Merry Christmas to me. Um, This is going to be good, I hope. Now, you may kind of recognize the character. Okay. But do you know this man? Well, that sure looks a lot like uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, doesn't it? But, but with what in addition? Well, it's it's all white, and the hair is blonde-ish and is that a what is that on his is that a unicorn horn on his head what is that there's a couple horns going on just, there's a, a bunch of a, horns he's all been over horny okay so it's not liger so or is it liger it's chris jericho chris jericho chris jericho and uh what is this gimmick called why was what this gimmick happening? is the super liger the super liger character was an ill-fated gimmick it was set up as an evil twin to jushin thunder liger and i believe it was a wrestle kingdom i'm not sure what number it was in january of 97 um it was supposed to be like an evil twin mirror match it was chris jericho's big debut in new japan so it would have been before wrestle kingdom because wrestle kingdom didn't start until like 2007 so it was at the tokyo oh, I, I apologize it was at one of the tokyo dome shows but their Tokyo, what, did they have a name for it? Uh, it was just there. They did have a few names before Wrestle Kingdom, but primarily it's always been known as the January Fourth Tokyo Dome okay, Show. Okay, it was that show. It yes, uh, it was. It was kind of like his uh, evil twin. Uh, the concept was good, and it was big for Jericho because it was his big debut in Japan after you know cutting his teeth in Canada, of course, down in Mexico. Down in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He was in WCW at this point. However, unfortunately for Chris, to his uh, dismay, the the mask did not fit him right. <laughs> uh, the costume completely covered his body, so it caused him to overheat. You couldn't see out of the fucking mask. And which, which is it's crazy that he botched a bunch of moves. The crowd hated it, so it didn't go over well. Uh, however. 
it served as a catalyst. It served as a catalyst to Chris Jericho wanting to go back to Japan to correct that match, to correct his time in Japan. And, you know, during his renaissance in the last couple of years, it helped fuel his desire to work with Gato again, who, who he's good friends with. He met him down in Mexico when he was training down there. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, this... Gato, this... Uh, when Chris Jericho was down in Mexico training, he didn't have a lot of money to his name. You know, and Chris Jericho's story, we can, we'll, we'll cover it one day. But, you know, I mean, it's a great story. He was down in Mexico, didn't have a dollar to his name. Gato gave him money for some hot dogs. They had some hot dogs together, and Gato helped him get into a couple promotions and the rest is history of course that's very wholesome yeah and this and and once the liger character was retired he did stay in japan for a couple extra months before going to wcw and then premiering at wwf so this is basically right in time for jericho yep. star to really rise and for the the creation of like the y2j character um who's the second and and we will talk in depth about who Jushin Thunder Liger is and why this is all important. Um, so don't fret. We have explanations. So who's the second person that you have for us? The second person I have is this man. Is that um, is that Zoro? It's not Zoro. It looks like Zoro. It's not Zoro. It's actually modeled after Kato from the Green Hornet. Oh. Do you know what promotion this is? Uh, well, let me see. Let me see the ring. It's not six-sided. It's four-sided. Four-sided. But oh, I, I kind of gave it away a little bit there. It's TNA. TNA. I, I you know, I was going to guess TNA based off of um, nothing. I was just, <laughs> just going <laughs> to assume it was TNA. Okay, well, believe it or not, Okada did have a stint in TNA. Oh, for excursion. Okado. Okado. Oh, oh, you know what? I can kind of see it. Yeah, you can see it, bro. He, he's got the little silly goatee going on, bro. The fans love Green Hornet, bro. <laughs> what year was him, this? This was 2010. When did Green wasn't Green Hornet a show in like the 60s it or was, 70s? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Kato, Bruce Lee, bro. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, this is Okado. This was an ill-fated gimmick. Much like the Super Liger gimmick. Uh, Okada came over to TNA uh, because New Japan and TNA, questionably, had a relationship back in the early, uh, sorry, early 2010. Uh, and he originally debuted as Samoa Joe's sidekick. Samoa Joe's sidekick. That's fun. Yeah. Didn't last that long. He was only there from November to January. What's fascinating about this character is, and Okada is Kazuchika Okada. Kazuchika Okada is quite arguably the most important person in New Japan today, with no disrespect meant at all to Hiroshi Tanahashi. And again, we are going to talk in depth about all of this, so I'm really happy that Ryan showed me this ill-fated gimmick of Okada because Okada is one of four people that are at the central storylines of what Wrestle Kingdom is about. And so with that, we are I just want to say one thing. Oh, okay. You know, we all could right. shit Sorry. on that character all we want because LOL TNA. In fact, New Japan refuses to work with a new iteration of Impact because they're still, even though it's a whole new different company, New Japan is still pissed off at the fact of what they almost did to the character. But Okada credits that character. Why? Because 
the American style of wrestling taught him the importance of building up a character. And that style allowed him to go back the next year to New Japan and allow him to create and to fit in the Rainmaker character. And this is an interesting parallel between long-term nemesis uh, Tetsuya Naito and him. So, without further further ado, because you stole my bombast and my thunder, <laughs> welcome to The Big Bad Guide to Wrestle Kingdom 14, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Gato Bomb. So, Wrestle Kingdom, or as good old JR calls it, the Super Bowl of Japan is set to take place on January 4th and January 5th, 2020. Now, this is significant because this is the first time in the Tokyo Dome show's history that it will not just be January 4th. This is the first time that they are splitting it into two separate nights. There is a reason behind this. And honestly, if you've watched a WrestleMania in the last couple of years, people have been asking about that for a while because we can't expect people to watch a seven, eight-hour show. I'm a hardcore wrestling person. It's and getting, I don't, I, I don't want to watch yeah. eight hours of wrestling. I want to like invite people over and have a party, and nobody wants to do that. Not only that, I wanted to go to the WrestleMania last year at the Meadowlands. Might as well get a fucking tent. It ended at twelve. It was a nightmare getting out of there. I mean, forget about driving over the George Washington to get to the Meadowlands. But people were trying to take trains. People didn't get back to New York City until three a.m. Like that's crazy. It's outrageous. So they're going for two nights. Um, now, Wrestle Kingdom, as I mentioned before, is sometimes referred to as the largest wrestling show outside of the United States, and it is, like WrestleMania, the culmination of New Japan's year-long stories. Now, something that you will notice about New Japan, if you ever watch it or if you follow its history, is storylines don't end in a year, right? For WrestleMania, and it's not to say that other promotions don't do this, even like WWE, while they don't do as much long-term booking as you would like as a person invested in the promotion it's not that they do none you know obviously characters carry over the Miz and Daniel Bryan are probably a really good example of a feud that is still going on to this day despite multiple like rubber matches and and blow-offs um but New Japan specifically and uh Japanese wrestling as a whole really prides themselves on long years long uh storylines that take years and years to uh conclude and you don't really know when the conclusion is and even when you think there's a conclusion, there's still more to the story because it's until somebody dies, basically. So, um, you've heard me call it the Tokyo Dome Show. Now, that is because Wrestle Kingdom, this is the 14th Wrestle Kingdom. However, the January 4th Tokyo Dome Show has been going on since 1992. Uh, I believe that the first one happened, the first Wrestle Kingdom happened in 2007. Um, now, I have a couple fun facts for you about Ooh, Wrestle Kingdom. Okay. Um, the first two January 4th Tokyo Dome matches were the last super cards between New Japan and WCW, um, both of which featured Sting, so that's fun. The matches were billed as Starcade in Japan, despite the fact that they were not billed as such in WCW because WCW already had a Starcade show. So, so they just, they so just, they just, the they just did it. I don't know if like they got their wires crossed. And like, we're going to call it Starcade. And they were like, uh, all right, you, have you, it. Can, you can do that, I guess. We're still going to run ours. Dusty intensifies. Um, and speaking of Dusty, the first uh, January 4th Tokyo Dome show um, featured <laughs> Dusty and his son Dustin versus Masa Saito and Kim Duck, as well as Sting and the Great Muda versus the Steiner Brothers. Uh, the second year. Give me a fucking button. <laughs> <laughs> That's real hot, Daddy. 
the second event featured the Hellraisers, uh, aka Kensuke Saito and Road Warrior Hawk. Because he was an IWGP Heavyweight Tag Champion. Get the fuck yeah, out of here. yeah. I think he had more than one reign too. So they that that was a thing. That was very interesting to learn. Um, versus the Steiner Brothers again for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships, which I think ended in like a double countout or something. And it featured Sting versus Hiroshi Hase, who later became the Minister of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology in Japan. That is one office. He did not win office for six different departments. Okay. <laughs> uh, every Tokyo Dome show has involved a championship match in some manner or fashion, although 1998, 2006, and 2013 marked the only times in the show's history where no titles exchanged hands. So they really pride themselves on just having... Wrestle Kingdom serve as like a, a like a like a reset for their shows a little bit yeah and like I said just like how WrestleMania can operate that way as well even though the storylines take place over several years not all of them of course but you know feuds will last for that long and character arcs will last for that long Wrestle Kingdom in the January fourth Tokyo Dome show in its entirety has been used as a way to showcase the best of the best and they they change hands. Pretty some championship will change hands very often. However, um, and this is something. There are a couple things about this that I think really make it stand out from Wrestle Kingdom, um, uh, from WrestleMania. Uh, 2019 was the first year where every single championship uh, exchanged hands, and I'm pretty sure that was also the last Wrestle Kingdom to feature the Elite. Yeah, I guess it's an important thing to remember because they were on their way out. So they were it was just every single one of them lost. Every okay. single one of them lost. Uh, that was the the headlining show was um, the headlining match was Kenny Omega versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi won that match. That was after he won the G one, I believe. Um, so, but talking about championships exchanging hands, <clears throat> something interesting to note is that. Um, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, which is the top belt, think of it as the Universal Championship, as the WWE Championship, whatever you want to think of it. It is the belt in Japan, in New Japan. It's headlined 23 times of the 29 main events and has only exchanged hands eight times. So the the big thing that you will notice in New Japan is championship reigns go a very, very long time. And that's kind of a thing in Japanese wrestling in general. Um... For example, uh, Giant Baba, um, who founded AJPW, All Japanese Pro Wrestling. Yeah, I mean, do you, would you like me to provide a little context to that? Yes, I would. Okay, so, I mean, the important thing with Japanese wrestling is to really refer to the man who started it all, and that's Ricky Dozan. Ricky Dozan was a sumo wrestler who eventually became the godfather of Japanese wrestling and the way it's set up today as we know it. But interestingly, was Korean, I believe? He was Korean, which was very important because not a lot of people know that. Now, Korea served as a Japanese prefecture back when Japanese, uh, back when Japan was an empire. Mm-hmm. Um, but however, um, there are some strained ties between Japan and China and Korea, but that's another story. Not a lot of people knew who was Korean. Uh, so it serves as an important base to him that he was able to get over as a man who was born in Korea and Japan. Uh, he was a sumo wrestler. He eventually got into wrestling. He trained the great Baba and Antonio Inoki. And those two men 
Baba is the most beloved figure in Japanese wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he got over is, is comparable to Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, looked more like Andre the Giant. Correct. He did suffer from gigantism, just like Andre, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, he originally was a baseball player, but after his after he started getting larger, he decided to go into wrestling. He's a very quiet man. Uh, he started AJPW. Mm-hmm. He specialized in bringing in foreign talent, such as Terry Funk, Harley Race, Bruiser Brody, and Stan Hansen, who is arguably one of the most overgudged figures in Japanese wrestling. Uh, Ricky Dozan was a, uh, unfortunately murdered by the Yakuza. That's a true story, by the way. Um, he was very well known for almost exposing the business mm-hmm. like 40 years before re- people or i get maybe not 40 years because it was the 60s but maybe 20 30 years before people really started worrying about that because he would beat people up and have matches and then he would go out and get fucked up with them yeah. and people would be like what the hell is I believe this he was a cuban baseball player that he got to called him to out him. for it one yeah. time and he basically kneeled on him and was like you apologize and he's like okay i'm sorry yeah um the interesting thing about that was is that it wasn't like a hit or anything, even mm-hmm. though ja- even though Japanese wrestling does have has its ties with the the yakuza, just much much so how like American boxing has its ties with the mafia. Mm-hmm. It's just it's an it's a natural thing. Um, but the man who murdered him, it was just because you know Ricky Dozan was a bit of a playboy. He had multiple girlfriends. Mm-hmm. He liked the drink. He liked and the drink. <laughs> he got into a fight with this mobster, and you know. He got stabbed. Now, what happened was is that he did go to the hospital. He had surgery performed on him, and it was successful. And the doctors sent him home. And the doctors stressed to him, "Do not eat or drink after you have the surgery." Which, it, which I have to think he probably was. He he agreed with he, that, right? He definitely did. No, that. he frowned upon. Oh, he it. didn't. In fact, do the that. first thing he did That's after shocking. he got out of the hospital was have sushi and a lot of alcohol, and unfortunately, he died thereafter. Now, to his credit, the man who did murder him was not aware that he was Ricky Dozan. And <laughs> the guy. I, up until the man's death, called every year Ricky Dozan's family and stated that he was sorry and visited mm-hmm. his grave. He did eight years in jail and then became a high-ranking member of the Yakuza. So that was, that was his so life story. It goes to show they don't really charge for crime back in Japan. No, they, they? they, they really don't. Um Anyway, so moving forward, Antonio Inoki was uh, pretty much the Vince of Japanese wrestling. Yeah, founded New Japan Wrestling, trained alongside Giant Baba. Uh, Antonio Inoki is one hell of a character. He is. So what do you have for us on him? So he, so Ricky Dozan started the Japan Wrestling Association. Uh, Baba and Antonio were like the prime members of it. They had a tag team. It was the B.I. Cannon. Anoki uh, got fired because he tried to take over it from Ricky Dozan and was frowned upon, so he was kicked out, and that's when he started New Japan Wrestling. Uh, he is known for fighting Muhammad Ali in 1976. And you're probably thinking, well, that's either super weird or super cool, but I bet it was cool either way. It wasn't. It was a fucking shit show of a match. See, they decided that they were going to have some rules. For this match 
Do you know what those rules were? I'm not quite sure. Was it was it treated as a boxing match? So Muhammad Ali and his team, they knew wrestling was fake, and they were like, "Oh, we'll we'll, we'll go over there and we'll we'll have a great time." Like it's not like they were going over to mock it. They're you know they're like, "Oh, this will be a cool thing to do, and it'll be fun." And they got there, and the way that the manager described it was, "And we got there, and no one was laughing." This was a very, very serious thing to Antonio Noki, right? And he knew that he was facing Muhammad Ali, and he didn't want to just get the shit punched out of him. And Muhammad Ali was also like, well, I don't really want you suplexing me all over the place. So they tried to establish some ground rules that I think made sense. You know, okay, no suplexes. and So it was almost like treated as like a mixed martial, mixed martial arts match? It was, in fact, not the first, but probably the most high-profile to that point okay. MMA match. Antonio Inoki had watched footage of a wrestler a little bit before that, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, taking on like either a boxer or a, you know a karate master or something, and and seeing that grappling, like reading the punches and then grappling, that he could take people down. So some ground rules were established and some tickets were sold. Muhammad Ali made six million dollars off of it. Antonio Inoki made four million, but they one of the rules they came up with was that like Antonio Inoki could only kick Muhammad Ali. If he was like, if he had one knee on the ground, interesting. And like, there was these like things about wrap ups and and like Muhammad Ali, you know, just like in in wrestling, like if he was in a pin or a submission, he could put his leg on the rope and it would break the count. But what Antonio Noki ended up doing to win this match, and they didn't win, they tied, is he scuttlebugged around on his back oh, for f- almost fifteen rounds. He got on his back and just started kicking the shit out of Muhammad Ali's like shins. And he's wearing these shoes with like bronze on the tip, so he's just kicking the shit out of him. I was like, the fuck you doing? Muhammad <laughs> Ali. Muhammad Ali landed six punches. He only even threw six punches, so he had a hundred percent completion. Inoki would not move from that at all. There was like a few moments where he stood up and like pretended, you know, he like kicked him or, or or he tried to grapple him and Ali got out of it uh it was a shit show and uh Muhammad Ali's manager and some other people feel that it might have contributed to Muhammad Ali's downfall in boxing because his legs kind of never recovered he got this very serious infection from it wow uh, I did not know yeah that. he got like a really serious infection and and like he should have done more and he didn't and it was fine and then it wasn't fine so that's a fun thing. God damn. Anyway, Inoki went on to having the mo- one of the most successful runs in Japanese wrestling. In 1995, he started uh, a show with Ric Flair called Collision in Korea. More importantly, the show was in North Korea, and it was the first major sports event to go into North Korea, which is very much known to have a communist regime. He did that in tribute to Ricky Dozan, who was Korean, <clears throat> and wanted to bring together... Uh, you know, the cultures of Japan and Korea. That's a little more strained, as I alluded to. It was a very successful show. Kind of served as propaganda, let's be honest. But, however, it was important that, you know, he was able to bridge those ties that we may not be aware of. Yeah, Anoki felt that it was kind of his responsibility. He actually got into politics and, like, is shunned a little bit. He did. Um, Not only that, he actually, during the Gulf War, negotiated a hostage release of Japanese uh, citizens from the Saddam Hussein regime. Now, during this, uh, whoever he was negotiating with made him convert to Islam in order to get these uh, citizens released. Made him? Well, he goes along with it. 
It's alluded to. Interesting. So he converted to Islam as an agreement, and he is now referred to as Muhammad Antonio Inoki. Huh. So after that, he's, he ran New Japan for a little while, a la Vince. He kind of ruled it with an iron hand. He kind of brought in the MMA style to New Japan, which not everybody was a fan of. It did translate to some good characters like uh, Shinsuke. Shinsuke Nakamura. Shinsuke Nakamura. King of strong style. But after a while, um, Inoki sold his stake and got out of the game. However, still to this day, left his mark on it. And two videos I just wanted to mention for everybody to look up. One of them is Antonio Inoki versus the Great Antonio. Oh boy, that's not a fun match to it's watch. It's not a guys. fun match, and I'm not <laughs> recommending you to look up the actual match. I want you to look up the video of Bill Burr dubbing it because it's oh, that's a awesome. thi- oh, that sounds great. And also, one of my favorite match, uh, one of my favorite videos, also as well, is people lined up at Wrestle Kingdom a couple years ago to be slapped in the face. In the ring by Antonio Inoki. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that being a thing. It was like this big, big honor. Um, Which wrestler would you love to be slapped in the face by? Ideally, none of them. But like, if uh, if it was like there for the taking, and I didn't have to pay a ton of money, I think I would probably most like to get slapped in the face by The Rock. I mean, like, because I imagine it'd be a very charismatic <laughs> slap. That's true. And and I and if I got to hear like a catchphrase afterwards. That would be cool. I, I think also, a nice, I think a nice Ric Flair chop. A Ric Flair chop could be fun. I also think a nice Finn Balor smack, um, just to be that close to that dreamy man and his dreamy nice. abs. <laughs> um, now the reason that I alluded to Giant Baba when talking about how Japanese wrestling views its champions is Giant Baba was champion for somewhere in the vicinity of twenty two hundred days. 2200 now that was a common thing back in the old days i mean bruno sammartino had something like over 2000 days didn't he bob backland was champion for like 10 years or something Mm -hmm. so that was a common thing but that is a huge similarity with current champion kazuchika okada so to get right into the nitty-gritty of this um the tokyo dome show january 4th 2020 Wrestle Kingdom 14. All right. We're going to go through the card. Now, the card is not set in stone. Each night is going to have about 8 to 10 matches. Now, something that you will notice when watching New Japan is they're very big on tag team wrestling. And, um, you know, something that I think as an American watching is I always hate when they just shove two people together for the sake of being together. Not only that or the end of the, the classic end of the show match for raw when they have when they combine multiple feuds into like a six or even a 10 man tag team match new japan is big on that right absolutely and that is in fact probably the driving force behind all of their storylines because uh new japan pro wrestling does not have a weekly show they don't have a raw or smackdown they don't have an impact or anything they have events so all of their storytelling is primarily done through tag team matches and you see weird People get thrown together all the time. But also, New Japan is very big for factions. All right? Now, for some people listening at home, you you might be familiar with Bullet Club. Bullet Club is the biggest faction. Well, probably not in Japan the biggest faction, but it's the biggest gaijin faction. By gaijin, that simply means foreigner. Anyone not Japanese. Ghost face. <clears throat> Ghost face. So, the biggest factions in New Japan right now are Bullet Club, which 
was started by Prince Devitt, a.k.a. Finn Balor, uh, in the late aughts. Um, he got Gallows and Anderson. He got, who are now known as the Gorillas of Destiny, eventually, I believe, was with Prince Devitt, uh, Tamatanga and Tangaloa. Uh, Bad Luck Fale has been there forever. Um, Kenny Omega, uh, I'm sorry, before I get into Kenny Omega, AJ Styles took over after AJ was kicked out. Uh, that's where the Young Bucks, they didn't come from Bullet Club, but they were in Bullet Club starting as far back as with Prince Devitt. Um, AJ was then kicked out by Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega then had a civil war between what was known as Bullet Club OG, which was Bad Luck Fale, the Grills of Destiny, um, and a couple of others. Ishimori was in there. Um, they split off with the Elite. That's where the Elite came from because Cody and, o- and Kenny started feuding over who's going to be in charge. And Bullet Club has tentacles everywhere. Adam Cole used to be a member of Bullet Club. The Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, AJ Styles. I mean, it's all over the place, Bullet Club members. Uh, and very often they would be in Ring of Honor as well. Uh, Marty Skrull is probably the last person not in AEW or WWE that was, or New Japan, that was a former member of Bullet Club. Uh, now being headed by Jay White, Switchblade Jay White. Um, so, Jay White, head of Bullet Club. Um, the other two big factions in New Japan, Los Ingobernables de Japón. That's headed by Tetsuya Naito. Sorry, Hapon. Hapon. Um, De Hapon. Headed by Tetsuya Naito, who Jay White is facing in night one of the card. Chaos is the other really big faction in New Japan that's headed by Kazuchika Okada. So, Jay White and Tetsuya Naito are facing off night one for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. Uh, So, Jay and Naito first met in 2017 uh, in one of these very large tag matches between uh, LIJ and Chaos. Because at the time, Jay White was a member of Chaos. Chaos used to be a heel faction. It's kind of like the face faction now. Um, this was shortly after Jay's return from Excursion. And what Excursion is in Japan is, very simply, they're young wrestlers known as Young Lions. They spend some time in New Japan in the dojos, learning, training, carrying water for people. Then they go out in Excursion. They go to Ring of Honor. They go to Triple A. They go to, you know, other places. And then they come back to Japan eventually. So Jay White came back from Excursion as Switchblade. Uh, he turned on Okada and the rest of Chaos to ascend to uh, the Bullet Club leader role. Or, you know, he was starting to get courted by Kenny and then eventually soon after became the leader uh, alongside Gato, who is also New Japan's main booker. And Jado, who is Gato's tag team partner. We all following this? We got oh, this Oh, yeah, together. no, I, I just wanted to interject real quick. Uh, when Jay White, and I mean, he's relatively young so it yes. was very big for uh, new japan to give him a push like this and at first i looked at him and i was like dude who is this guy who looks like he's out of hot topic <laughs> listening to fucking i don't know static x and marilyn manson yeah and but he quickly changed my opinion very very quick in the course of a year and he's really risen up to his role as the bullet cup leader and he's killing it and i'm very excited to see him at Wrestle Kingdom this year. He has had an incredible, incredible year. And part of that year has to do with Tetsuya Naito. So 
after this little tag match, the two wouldn't meet again until this year's G1 Climax Finals uh, in the B Block, rather, the B Block Finals. Now, what the G1 Climax is, is a big round-robin tournament that happens in New Japan featuring all of their top stars and some lesser-known guys. The G1 is, um, you know, there's two blocks. It's gone up every year. Last year's was either eight or ten people in each block. Everybody fights each other. Whoever has the most points, two points for a win, one point for a draw, no points for a loss, goes on to face the other block's winner. The winner, much like Money in the Bank, gets a briefcase with a contract guaranteeing them a title shot for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, this was initially started by Kazuchika Okada in 2012 after he won the G1. Um, prior to that, it was just you get to contend for a championship of your choosing, or it was just this happens. And now it's at Wrestle Kingdom. It is for the Heavyweight Championship. So the two met in the B-Block Finals this past year. Um, Tetsuya Naito and him had a great match. Jay White ultimately came out on top. To add insult to injury later on after that, uh, Jay White would face Naito for the Intercontinental Championship, promising to put the smile back on Naito's face. Uh, this is because Tetsuya... He lost his smile? He lost his smile. Much like Shawn Michaels, huh? Much like Shawn Michaels. Um, Coincidentally, with the Intercontinental Championship. <laughs> <with> the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was obviously a mocking thing, but... Um, he beats Naito for the Intercontinental Championship. Now, the reason he even wanted to face him is the big storyline going into Wrestle Kingdom this year is who will be the first IWGP double champion, heavyweight champion, and Intercontinental champion. This is a big deal because the Intercontinental Championship has headlined Wrestle Kingdom once, but there is a little bit of fuckery as to why it headlined. We're going to get into that in a second. But the Intercontinental Championship is a very, very serious deal. You know, and I mean, it's not that dissimilar from WWF and WWE where the Intercontinental Championship is, you know, heralded as a somewhat big deal and people tend to go on to do good things. But winning the Intercontinental Championship in its own right is a very big deal in New Japan. So Naito, who is uh, who loses the Intercontinental Championship, he came up with the idea originally to be double champion. This is because Tetsuya Naito's career is one built on the back of failure and tragedy. And all he's wanted to do is get to the top of the mountain. And there have been nothing but roadblocks. One of which, maybe the biggest of which, is Kazuchika Okada. Naito had this idea first. Jay White decided, you know what? I'm the top guy here. I'm the top guy, Jin. There is no Kenny Omega anymore. I'm Bullet Club. Bullet Club is for life. I'm going to be that guy goes on to beat Naito for the championship and says, everything that I've said is going to happen. It's going to come true. Jay White narrowly lost to Kota Ibushi in the G1 Climax Finals um, in an absolutely incredible match. And so the two take each other on now in Wrestle Kingdom because Naito hasn't given up his dream of being double champion. And so Jay, Jay believes he, that this is going to be his time, his moment. Naito feels otherwise. Who will become the new Intercontinental Champion? We're going to see. It's a little hard to predict with New Japan a lot of the times, um, but I predict that Naito is going to win this match. Before I go into why, do you have any thoughts on this match? Any thoughts on Naito or Jay White? Love both. 
I love Naito's reign when he was the Intercontinental Champion, and he just absolutely did not give a fuck. Threw the belt all around. Threw the belt all around. Was wearing these ridiculous. He looked like Rod Stewart. Rod <laughs> like wearing like these ridiculous velvet suits, and, like his hair all teased and stuff like that. And I think it took Tanahashi to defeat him to bring respect back to the belt and really give. Yeah, make know, someone care about it again. Make right? someone care about it again, and you know, fix it up, and like you know. I, I appreciated the fact when he won it, like, you know, he, like, dusted it off and kissed it and, like, you know, the whole spiel. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's interesting to say because Naito lost to Chris Jericho last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bought his way back up. Uh, I really know they really want to push Jay White, too. So it's going to be huge if they make him or, a.k.a. a gaijin, the first double champion and yeah. the face of the company it would be massive now we would be remiss if we didn't mention that new japan is planning to expand into america next year yes they are so that would serve as a very big uh setup to to have him pretty much become the face of both brands if they were to go that route right and and jay is not american jay is from new zealand yes so but simply expanding into the West and expanding into that new market to have someone like Jay White on top would obviously be a huge deal. And that's why it was such a big deal when Kenny Omega went to the top. Um, Kenny Omega being Canadian, I believe. So we're going to get into what Naito's struggle is about and why in a second. One of the other matches is going to be between Will Ospreay and a returning Hiromu Takahashi for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. The shocking return of Hiromu Takahashi following a devastating neck injury during a match against Dragon Lee uh, last year that left his career in uncertain terms. This was following uh, Will Ospreay's successful title defense against Takahashi's tag partner and stablemate Bushi at Power Struggle most recently. Takahashi is a member of LIJ, headed by Naito. Bushi also a member of LIJ. Um, Takahashi had this absolutely horrifying neck injury where he basically broke his neck. Uh, It put his entire career at stake. Um, So for him to come back was a huge, huge deal. The history behind this is that Takahashi never, he was the former IWGP uh, junior heavyweight champion. This would be him going for his third, I believe, reign. He never lost it. He had to vacate the title due to injury because in New Japan, if you can't defend the title, you you don't have it. You just that's it. So you're vacated. If you can't do one title defense, that's it. Um, it's good to see him back. You yeah, think, you think he'll have Daryl in tow? I think so. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Which is his cat? If you didn't, he's a beautiful you know, cat. He's, he's a beautiful, beautiful. He's a pretty boy. Um, Takahashi is extremely charismatic. Uh, he's very flamboyant, big punk rock guy, uh, and he's incredible in the ring. Will Ospreay, you may know him from Twitter beef with Seth Rollins. He's also incredible in the ring. Uh, The two have a friendship rivalry. They refer to each other on Twitter as frenemies. So this is less about um, big, terrible struggle and more about Takahashi's return to the top of the junior heavyweight division, wanting to remind people just who he is. And uh, Will Ospreay saying that he wants to make the juniors headline Wrestle Kingdom one day. Um, I'm sure he was pushing for it this year. He's also said that he's wanted to start facing heavyweights. He was also in the G1 Climax this year and had a really good showing against some really tough opponents. 
So this match is more about will Will Ospreay continue to, again, be another top gaijin? Because it's really just down to him and Jay White at this point. Um, and be another champion in the stable of chaos? Or will LIJ collect one more belt and see Takahashi come back and, you know, just make this bombastic return, beat a long-time rival, and become champion again? I have to think they probably give it to Takahashi. Um, yeah, it would serve as a nice comeback story for him. Yeah. I mean, to, to serve as the fact that he probably wasn't even supposed to be wrestling. Yeah. I, it, yeah, it, it, was a little, it was a little crazy for him to even come back. Um, so we're going to see, but I believe Takahashi's ultimately going to take that. And I believe his return gives a big boost to Tetsuya Naito, who recruited him in the first place to LIJ and has been a very big supporter of them. They're friends. Uh, Takahashi makes Naito laugh a lot. It's a very beautiful friendship. Now, before we get to the main event... Jushin Thunder Liger. This is serving as his retirement tour. Now, Jushin Thunder Liger is an absolutely legendary, legendary person in and out of Japan. Uh, Jushin Thunder Liger invented the shooting star press. He's an 11-time IWGP junior heavyweight champion, the most by far in company history. You gotta wonder if it'll ever even really be beat. No one's really that close. Uh, Liger's been everywhere. He had an ongoing feud with Brian Pillman in WCW, winning their light heavyweight championship once. Um, he's in, he's incredible. And we spoke about Super Liger before. Jericho's alter ego cousin to Jushin Thunder Liger. Jushin Thunder Liger came as a result of a very famous, uh, manga at the time. Now, he had been wrestling before this, but the manga came out and New Japan had once capitalized on successful mangas before with tiger mask interesting um so they followed the same suit and liger just kept it running from there uh he's credited as maybe being the greatest high flyer of all time and just in general an absolutely terrific terrific performer and this match this is one of like i said one of two matches he'll be having for his retirement tour this one is a real who's who of friends and foes from the past. So he'll be teaming up with Tatsumi Fujinami, the great Sasuke, and Tiger Mask with El Samurai, another friend toward, turned uh, foe. I think it's interesting that you brought up Tiger Mask just because I think it's important to uh, bring up a match that's very important to me and important to a lot of people in the wrestling community. Okay. And if you allow me to interject, I'd like to just talk about it for a moment. Absolutely. Let's get into it. Okay. So Tiger Mask is very many iterations to him i believe there's six if i'm correct there are six people who donned the mask that's possible or we might be up to four it's somewhere between four and six so uh the first person to don the mask was satoru sayama another famous japanese wrestler who i'd love to talk about someday who also donned the mask was the great masawa mm-hmm. however this iteration tiger mask number one fought the legendary wrestler Kid Dynamite on July 23rd, 82 at Mass Square Garden in the WWF Federation. Kid Dynamite, of course, Tom Billington, was a member of the British Bulldogs along with Davey Boy Smith, a.k.a. the British Bulldog. Hmm. What was great about Kid Dynamite is that he was pretty much the archetype of the modern-day cruiserweight wrestler. And what was important about him is that, like Chris Jericho, like Chris Benoit, 
like Eddie Guerrero, he took the most important fashions of wrestling at the time. Um, elements of wrestling from Mexico. Elements of wrestling from Japan. Elements of wrestling from Canada. He brought them together. And, you know, he was just pretty much the the pinnacle of short guy wrestling, but the man could go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not only that, he was a tough motherfucker. In the ring and out of the ring. Mm-hmm. Many stories about him. Uh, Tiger Mask, like I said, many iterations. And what we're referring to right now is Satoru Sayama. He was regarded by Bret Hart and many other people as the Bruce Lee of wrestling for his lightning speed, martial arts skills, and athleticism and style. What's your style? <laughs> I believe the current Tiger Mask and the one in this match is uh, Yoshihiro Yamazaki. And do you know how long he's been since nineteen ninety five? Okay, so he's pretty much like he's the guy. He's, he's the, the guy. Right he's now. the longest, and he's had it for the longest. So okay, so it, he's pretty much like the guy. Yeah, it's a little bit synonymous with him in Japan. And Tiger Mask was another long term friend rival of Jushin Thunder Liger. Just a couple guys in masks having great times. Um, also, there was once a version of Tiger Mask called Tiger Mask W, and that was Kota Ibushi. Hey, look at that. Was that um? Uh, was that like the black tiger mask? If I'm correct? no, because that's that's black tiger. Because okay. there are like so fifteen tigers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, tiger mask W was just another version when they brought back the character. After... Oh right, because it was coinciding with the anime at the time. I believe. And they they brought in the anime. They like brought it back, and like Okada was yeah, in that's it. Cool. And Tanahashi, like that. like and that, that was after Ibushi um, was in WWE. So we're gonna get into Kota in one second. So uh, just. Wanted to br- briefly just finish up what I was saying is that uh, Sayama was the only man to hold the junior champ belt in both NWA and WWE. And what was important about this match, which took place again in 82 at MSG and WWF, is that the crowd was not used to this type of match. It was the modern day cruiserweight match, high flying, uh, tope suicides everywhere. The strong style, uh, you know, just the strikes everywhere, out of the ring, into the ring. like, And, you know, if you go on the WWE Network and you watch this match, you look at these fans who are used to the style of, um, you know, all those old WWF wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Old, old school. Yeah. Very, and, very you different. you know, they watch it and they're like, what the hell is this? And at the end of it, they're just on their feet. Um. Sharing so, this, and you know, the more important thing about this match is it is the first five star Meltzer match. The first five star Meltzer match, yes. And if you're ever uh, interested in getting into that and you know, following all of Meltzer's five star match, that is the, certainly the one to start with. An excellent recommendation. So, Liger, Fujinami, Great Sasuke, and Tiger Mask with El Samurai, they'll be taking on Aoki Sano. Shinjiro Otani, Tatsuyu Takawa, and Ryusuke Taguchi with Kuniaki Kobayashi uh, in their corner, and Norio Hanaga. Now, I know this is a lot of names, right? We can't get into all of them, but they're just, every every one of them has a connection to Liger, so it's just him facing some of his greatest friends and foes in wrestling. So it's like a final battle between everybody. Well, yeah, before he has his final singles match the next night which will be his retirement match. Um, the main event of this night 
will be Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Uh, this match is between the Rainmaker and Leader of Chaos, Kazuchika Okada, modern ace of New Japan and owner of the longest title reign in New Japan history, five-time current champion, versus Kota Ibushi, uh, former golden lover of Kenny Omega, both in DDT and New Japan all over the world. Uh, three-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion and current holder of the G1 Climax briefcase, which, as I said, guarantees you a title shot at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, it's customary that whoever beats you in the G1, if anyone beats you, gets to face you for the suitcase. It doesn't necessarily have to be people that beat you in the G1, but that's typically how it goes. Is If you have something and you get pinned in New Japan, you're going to face that person for whatever it is you have. Could be a title, could be a briefcase, could be, you know, a pair of underwear. If you got pinned... You're fighting someone for it. Uh, he took on Kenta and Sonata. Beat both of them. Or Evil, I'm sorry. He took on Evil, not Sonata. Also two members of LIJ. Kenta, also known as um, Hideo Itami in WWE. Uh, now member of Bullet Club. So It's just good to see him. Yeah, after, I... You know, I loved his NXT run. I think he would have been more huge... And more over with everybody than he did, and unfortunately he suffered two debilitating injuries. Yeah, and it, it really took him out. And for a while. when he left WWE, it wasn't like the classic like oh WWE like suppressed him and stuff like that. I think you know it, it was just very apparent that he just unfortunately wasn't gonna get it over. I think he was the original man to attack uh, Kevin Owens. Oh, that's possible. Yeah, I think that's what they had planned for him. But it, it's just it's just refreshing to see <clears throat> him you know reclaim himself back in New Japan once mm-hmm. again. And that's uh, that's Kenta we're talking about. So Kota Ibushi have a very he has a very long history with uh, Kazuchika Okada, dating back to uh, DDT, another promotion in Japan when they first met in singles action. While Ibushi was DDT's biggest star, they would meet again in 2014 when Kota Ibushi was junior heavyweight champion and Okada heavyweight champion, as well as the G1 2019 A Block. They had a match there. That is the only one that Kota Ibushi has ever won. Okada is New Japan's biggest star following his dethroning of Hiroshi Tanahashi as the new ace of Japan of New Japan in 2013. He's never viewed Kota as an equal, and that's kind of a thing with Okada, right? He's a he's over as a face now, but he's very cocky. He's never really seen people like Kota or Tetsuya Naito as on his level, which is what made it such a big deal when Kota not just beat him in the A block for the first time in their careers, uh, not counting tag matches. But to then win the G1 and take him on at Wrestle Kingdom. And Kota Ibushi has long been one of Japan's most notoriously difficult to nail down stars. He's always been all over the place. NJPW, DDT, WWE when he was a part of the Cruiserweight Classic and faced off against like Cedric Alexander, Buddy Murphy, TJP. Uh, his match with Cedric Alexander, I highly recommend you can find that on the network just to get an idea of who Kota Ibushi is. Uh, Kota Ibushi is also 37 now and looks like he's 23. He hasn't aged. He's that old? He's, Are you serious? He's 37. He's 37 years old. It's wild. So is Naito. Yeah. I mean, it's that's crazy, crazy man. It, it really is crazy. Now, if I'm correct, they had plans for Ibushi to win that, right? Yeah. I, but I he mean, didn't want to sign with WWE. Something happened, I yeah. I don't blame him. I, I think what happened was is that they had plans for him to sign with WWE his main intentions for the Cruiserweight Classic was just to, just to get over the Japanese-style wrestling, which he successfully mm-hmm. did. And then they gave it to TJP. Yeah. Who has wrestled in New Japan now, because I think he's with Ring of Honor now, right? I believe so. He's He was most recently in the Best of Super Juniors um, and a Super J Cup. 
So we ended up running out of time and Ryan had to split. But we decided that we're having so much fun talking about New Japan that we're going to make this a two-parter epic. So next week we're going to finish up talking about the match between Kazuchika Okada and Kota Ibushi for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, as well as the rest of the card and night two. We're going to go take an in-depth look into the relationship between Kazuchika Okada, Tetsuya Naito, Kota Ibushi, and Jay White. Continue talking about the legacy of Jushin Thunder Liger. Explore the legacy of Hiroshi Tanahashi, the galactic ace that pulled New Japan into the new era, as well as so much more. So, until then, this is the most electrifying must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. This is FFC.